I encourage you to take your copy of God's Word, turn to the book of Colossians, chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. I don't know how many of you have little uh, items at home that drive you nuts because they're just not really connected like, like they should. I remember at home we had this uh, beautiful round kitchen table. And the table was loose. And my mom and dad could never figure out why, and I surely couldn't figure out why. But one day, our engineer uncle came by and spent the night. And I'll never forget, he left my mother a poem. And it was the poem of the missing screw. And uh, he had you know, got the right screw and put it in the right place in this oval table, and now it, it rocked no more. But um, when I first got here and um, a few years ago and was mowing my grass, um, my t- the wheel, the rear wheel on my mower would start to wobble and get loose, and so I'd tighten it up and, you know, mow a couple times and tighten it up, and, and uh, old Jim said, uh, well, I can fix that for you, and I thought, yeah, right, you know, but he volunteered to come over to the house. I don't know where Jim, oh, there's Jim, yeah, okay, he volunteered to come over to the house, and and uh, he said, where are your tools and all this kind of stuff? And I can't remember if he got a special kind of nut to go on it or something. Well, for the last six years, it hadn't wobbled off anymore. So kudos to Jim. A lot of it has to do, I guess, with knowledge. on, Or maybe that's his job as administrator is tightening loose nuts or something. I, I don't know. But, um, you know, as you... Um, I'll never forget, have you ever had somebody kind of uh, overdo a celebration for you? You know, like they're planning your birthday or they're planning something and they kind of overdo it. I was uh, the new pastor of my very first church and um, it's the first time we've ever lived in a house. We'd always lived in like apartments. So as we drove up to this new house, there was this big, beautiful mailbox. But on our mailbox, in huge letters, it said, Reverend John Hughes. Now, I was, you know, it was kind of nice to have your name on your mailbox. But it was kind of overkill. And six months later, I think the burglars who came by realized that I would not be there on Sunday night. You know? And, and they came by right at church time to rob all our Christmas presents. But anyway, that's another story. But a few weeks after moving in, those letters didn't have any problems staying on the mailbox. But my address was 3501 Stallworth Drive, and the one fell off. Well, this mecha- you know, mechanical mind said, I'm going to take my crazy glue. So I take this crazy glue, and I put it all over this number and stick it back up there. And after a couple days, it's back in the street. So I tried again. It didn't take this keen mind too long to know, I need to go back you know, to the, the store and buy a new number that's still got the sticky on it. So I took care of that. 
A few weeks later, though, I remember there was a rattle in our car. And it was too new to have a rattle. And I was like, what's causing this rattle? And I looked inside. I couldn't figure it out. I, I looked outside on the trim to think what was rattling. And I discovered something. Under the door, going along the bottom edge, there was this little plastic trim. So I go and get my crazy glue. And I glue that plastic, you know, and I stick it on there and hold it for the required whatever, two minutes. And then you know what happened? A couple days later, what? You could hear it. Yeah, you could hear it flapping. So finally, I, I, I got down there and I looked a little more carefully. I noticed what was actually holding it on was snaps. Like, I guess that's what it's called. Anyway, snaps. So I went and got some of Nancy's cotton balls, okay, for makeup or whatever, and I kind of jammed them in that little hole and, and jammed it in there. And you may be going, preacher, are these stories going anywhere? Is there any point to this? And the answer is yes. The, the question I want to ask you this morning is this. What really holds us together as a church fellowship? What really holds us together as a church fellowship? We have something as a church staff that I call forced fun. Okay? And forced fun happens every Tuesday at 12 noon. Whether you want to or not, you've got to go eat lunch with the preacher. It's not optional. We are going to go eat with the preacher together. And he forces us all to get together, which is a good thing. Okay, But is that what holds us together? A schedule that says every Sunday be here at 11 o'clock or every Sunday be here at Sunday school at 9.30? Is that what holds us together? Of course not. Is what holds us together the label Baptist or Southern Baptist? Is that what holds us together? No. Is what holds us together the building itself? No, obviously not. So, well, I know a number of you are thinking, I tell you what holds us together is a few key leaders in the church who, who work themselves to death. You know? No, that's, that's not what holds us together either. Well, let's look at the scripture, see what the Bible says holds us together. Look at here in Colossians chapter 3. Open your Bibles to verse 12 and we'll look through 14. The scripture says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you know how many times I've tried to bind something together and 
and my own effort and strength and wisdom, and it didn't work. Lord, you've even seen me try to do that in church work as well. Lord, I thank you that your word can open our eyes this morning to see what is truly the glue that binds us together. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to work our way through these verses this morning, so keep your Bible open. Let's look at the first part of verse 12. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. You know, at most colleges and and universities, there's a club there. I mean, there are a lot of them, but there's a club there called the Letterman's Club. Now, the Letterman's Club is um, only if you're a varsity athlete and Probably not, in a lot of schools, it's not only if you're a varsity athlete, you probably have to be a standout, you know, varsity athlete. And then you are recognized as a member of the Letterman's Club. Now there's another club, not at college, but there's another group. Um, Every year, thousands of young ladies compete in either the Miss USA or the Miss America pageant. Thousands. But only one person gets chosen Miss America out of all the thousands. And only one person gets chosen Miss USA out of all the thousands. Now think about our military. Think about the Marines. The Marines tell us they don't want everybody, do they? What do the Marines want? Yeah, or now they want the few, the proud, the Marines right? That's what they want, okay? Now, I've never been in the Letterman's Club. I I was never selected to be in the Marines, and I certainly have never won a beauty pageant. But let me tell you what, about 42 years ago, right over there in Albany, Georgia, just a few miles away from here, in a very personal way, God began to work in my life. And I I realize now, I didn't see it then, but I realize now that as I look back that God was reaching out and that God was saving me. It was a process of him drawing me to himself. Basically, he was choosing me. He worked in the heart of a smart aleck, know-it-all teenager so that I could actually see that I needed Jesus Christ. Now, I would have never found Jesus on my own. Why? Think about it as a teenager. Teenager, There's too many distractions. But the scripture tells us he takes the initiative. He chooses us. He got our attention. And, And when he did, he offered me the opportunity to trust him as my Lord and Savior. Now, you may feel that you've never been selected for anything. But I tell you what, if there was a day in your life when you trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior, on that day, in that instant, you in fact 
were chosen by God to receive forgiveness of everything you've ever done. On that day, you were selected by God, not to be on the varsity, but you were selected to receive eternal life. Never ends. And you talk about status. You were chosen to be a child of the living God. Now, this scripture tells us you've not only been chosen by God, but it also tells us, look at what it says. Holy and dearly loved. But he declares today that you're holy. When we use the term, we usually think in this this passage of scripture, we usually think about kind of like a moral purity. We think of, of living a life that was, is without smudge. But the word holy actually means to be set apart. It means to, to separate. See, God's not only chosen us and given us the status of being his child, he has set us apart for a special purpose. You know, when I think about set apart, I can remember while I was in high school that my 40-year-old mother decided to go back to school. And I can remember her getting in the car and driving to Auburn. And she would be in, in the pharmacy school there for two weeks, and then she would drive home to Albany, go to Piggly Wiggly, buy all these groceries, put them in the kitchen, and then she'd go back for two weeks. And then she'd come back. Now, my mother was very involved over at First Baptist Church, taught Sunday school, all this stuff. But, but when she was in pharmacy school, you know what I remember? I remember her coming home, doing all that, and going into her bedroom and sitting at a card table all day with chemistry books. It was, it was the weirdest thing. I mean, she would, you know, she would like appear with the groceries and she'd go in there and she would just study all weekend. And then she'd go back to school. At that period, those three years, it's obvious. She was what? Set apart, wasn't she? She was focused on what she had to accomplish during those years. And she was set apart. Here's the question. We're not on this earth right now just as a warm-up act for going to heaven. God wants to use us. He wants our life to matter here and now. What are we set apart for? What has he chosen us to do? What does he want to accomplish through us? Everything we do in the power of the Holy Spirit and for the glory of God can have an impact beyond anything we can calculate. Set apart. But not only that. Look at what this text says. What does it say? Holy and what? Dearly loved. You know, it's tragic when you see a young athlete who's gifted and he's chosen by some 
wonderful college and, and he goes there and he begins to play ball. But then he begins to realize something or at least he begins to imagine something. He begins to realize or imagine that the only reason he's been picked out to come play on this team is because that's going to enable them to sell more tickets. And somehow in his mind, he begins to think, you know, these people are just using me. That's a terrible place to be. I tell you what, God has not chosen you and giving you a, a special place, separated you for a special purpose. He's not done that just to use you. The scripture says what? We are dearly loved. The scripture says we are dearly loved. See, in a fellowship, in a church fellowship, you, you can get used. It can. I remember Brother Bill was sitting down here uh, in the, in the uh, early service. And, and, um, and he, for a season, was the single Sunday school teacher. And you know what kind of happens? If you're a Sunday school teacher and you're doing it, what are we going to say? Man, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. Right? And, it, and, if, and if that's all you kind of hear, you might feel used. But God, he's not trying to use us and, and wear us out. He loves us. He loves us. You may be saying this morning, well, I don't feel very loved today. I'm going through a tough time. I've got some questions I'd like to ask God. But I tell you what, this morning, I'm convinced that no matter what we're struggling with, no matter what we're going through, the overarching motivation, the overarching heart of God is love. You know, in uh, C.S. Lewis' book, um, Mere Christianity, there's an interesting statement he makes. It's on page 187 in this edition. But listen to, to what he says about this relationship with God, chosen set apart and dearly loved. Listen to what he says. I want to tell you a story about a man who was made to wear a mask. A mask which made him look much nicer than he really is. And he had to wear it for years. And when he took it off, he found his face had grown to fit it. And he was now really beautiful. What had begun as a disguise had become a reality. Listen, God has taken the initiative in our lives. He set us apart because of love. And when we step into that relationship with Him, He covers us with Jesus Christ. And do I look like Jesus Christ today? No. But what the Lord said is as I walk with him and I experience fellowship with him and I, I experience his love, that one day when the mask is removed, what's going to happen? He's going to have transformed my life. The second thing I see in this text 
is not only that first that there's a new you, but that our fellowship with God is, is we and not just me. Look at the text. It says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive. Listen to those words. See, when God chooses us, when he sets us apart, when he draws us to himself with cords of love, it's not a solo. It's not a solo. It's not just me and God on the mountain, or it's not just you and God in the valley. We're drawn into a relationship with God, with the rest of his children. And because we are children, our lives should grow and we should mature and reflect more and more the character of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 1.3, Paul calls God the Father of mercy. And this is the same word that's translated here. Look in the text, compassion. Paul says that we're to clothe ourselves or to put on a heart of compassion. There are men and women among us this morning who are literally broken hearted. Dire circumstances have invaded their relatively quiet lives. When we look at each other, I mean, when I look at you right now, I mean, everybody looks great. Frankie looks great. Miss Thomas looks great. Everybody looks, you know, you just look normal. Choir, y'all look great. But inside this room, there are people that are hurting. And Paul says that we are, he says here, clothe yourselves with compassion. Clothe yourselves with compassion. Do we as God's children reflect God's compassion? When, let me put it this way. When people open up to us, and acknowledge to us their pain and their heartache, do they experience and genuinely sense the compassion of Almighty God flowing through us to them? Or do they sense in reality a, a gentle but genuine indifference? Because we're all so overwhelmed by our own problems and, and just don't have any compassion left. See, when Jesus saw the needs of people, he saw their pain, he was moved with compassion, and his compassion led to action. It forced Jesus to do something. The first thing it forced Jesus to do was to pray. He prayed. He himself, in his physical presence, couldn't meet all the needs himself. And it drove him to pray. It not only forced Jesus to pray, it challenged him to challenge other people to pray as well. Compassion will lead to prayer and then to action. Paul says in Romans 12, 15, weep with those who weep. There are people in our church this morning that every step they take is painful. You know, there's some guys I meet with at a Bible study. We meet at Hagenbones at um, 6.30 on 
Thursday morning, I mean, let's say Wednesday mornings. And, you know, been, this has been going for years. And there's a guy who's been coming for years. In the last two months, he hasn't been there. You know why he's not there? Because he's in such pain, he can't, like, get up and get going like he used to. Well, he's just one. I'm sure there are tens or twenties or fifties or hundred in our church. They're experiencing physical, limiting pain. Do we feel what they feel? Do we realize there are people at night that are crying themselves to sleep because of emotional or physical stress? Do we understand that? Are we moved with compassion? Will we pray for them? Will we take action? Will we minister? Will we seek to help meet needs? Compassion can be expressed in numerous ways, but it begins with remembering them to God in prayer and then showing compassion through cards or gifts or whatever it expresses. See what he says here? Look at what he says. He's, he's clear. Close yourself with compassion. And then this compassion is going to be expressed to one another in kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. And he says here, patience is essential because we got to bear with one another. There's not, you look in this room, look around right now. Is there anybody that looks exactly like you? I don't see anybody that looks like me. I don't see anybody that looks, there's no two identical people in here. We all have different ways of doing things, all kinds of ways of thinking and approaches to life and problem solving. So we're not going to think the same. We all have different personalities. So we've got to learn to be patient with one another. Bear with one another, he says. That shows compassion. We're patient with one another. Even when somebody sins against another, maybe by a slip of the tongue or accidentally making fun or poking fun with a joke, but saying something that really hurts a brother or sister. Maybe they're feeling hurt. Maybe a brother or sister is hurt and lashes out, says something maliciously because they're hurting. So possibly we must show compassion to one another and kindness to one another and help one another. The scripture here says it doesn't matter who initiated it. We're to forgive as the Lord forgave us. His love and forgiveness was boundless so our forgiveness that we offer is to be in the same measure. Well, let's hurry on to the end here. Verse 14. Verse 14 says, And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, when I was a little boy, the, kind of the genesis of this whole sermon, when I was a little boy, I can remember a television commercial. And on that television commercial, there was a football player. This football player had on his full uniform, 
and had on a helmet. But what I remember about this football player is that his helmet was glued to the goalpost. And so you saw this football player kind of holding on to his face guard, looking straight out from the goalpost and kind of kicking his feet. And they were advertising, if you remember, super glue, super glue. It even hold the football player up there to the goalpost. And as I think about what this verse of Scripture tells us, it says that there's a bonding compound that will hold us together as a fellowship. And that bonding compound, according to God's word, is love. It's over all the virtues. It binds them all together. It brings a unity. He says there's nothing to compare to it. There's nothing in its class when it comes to gluing us together. You know, when we realize this morning that we are new and different people because of Jesus Christ and what he's done in our life. And we, we realize that he has set us apart for a purpose and that he has loved us. And when we come to the full awareness that our fellowship is not only with God, but with one another through the most difficult, hardest experiences of life, then we know we know that unless God himself pours his love in and through our hearts towards one another, then yes, we may be able to love each other and encourage each other on occasion. And we may be able to, with spurts and sputters, be able on occasion to make a difference. But we realize unless God pours his love in and through us, there's not going to be a consistent, ongoing, Christ-honoring Compassion for each other. I don't know how many of you took industrial arts class in, in school. But I'll never forget Mr. Yielding. He was a, a fairly large fellow. And he was determined to teach us how to arc weld. And to be honest, I was a little intimidated by that. You put on all the gear, it's kind of hot. You're doing something that unless you have that head on, that headgear on, you might cause you to go blind, you know, by seeing this arc. So I was a little intimidated. But I'll never forget the day he said, okay, men, I've taken this circle of steel I've cut it in half. You are going to weld it together. And then I'm going to test your weld. I'm going to take, when you've welded these two pieces together, I'm going to take it and I'm going to place it in a vise. I'm going to take a sledgehammer and I'm going to smack one side. If it breaks where you welded, you didn't do it correctly. If it breaks on the metal, then you did a wonderful job. So all us boys go to work. 
And then we have to go to Mr. Yielding and bring it to him. He puts it in the vice and then he clobbers it. And when he clobbered mine, you know where it broke. Right where I welded. Thankfully, that wasn't pass-fail for the whole course. Okay? But what he said was that if this weld is done correctly, that's stronger than the metal itself. Look at what the Lord said in his word. And over all these virtues, and over all these virtues, verse 14, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. See, this love that God is willing to give you and me, this, will, this love that God is willing to pour forth in and through our lives, Let's just put it this way. I've known Brother Bob Lynch for whatever, nine years, eight and a half years. What that verse is saying is this. Our love as brothers in Christ, okay? When it's tested through difficulty and strain and, and all this kind of stuff, that what should break is what? Not our bond, Right? Not our love for each other shouldn't break. I should break or he should break, but not our love for each other. Not the bond, the weld. It's the perfect bond of unity. It's the super glue, if you want to call it that. The love that God is willing to give us this morning that I've been talking about is expressed in the person of Jesus. What did he do? He loved us so much, he came and what? He was broken. And he lives inside us. This morning, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never trusted him, this would be a wonderful opportunity. You could remember August the 3rd, we had a substitute preacher. And that, on that day was when you trusted Jesus. We'd invite you to trust him, invite him into your life, come forward saying you want to be his disciple, you're willing to be baptized. We also would encourage you, if you already know Jesus and you've been experiencing his love through brothers and sisters in this church and you're finding a place of ministry, we would encourage you, come be a part of us. We're excited about what God is doing here. I, I love hearing testimonies of the brothers and sisters in this church. It's amazing. So come, be a part of what God is doing. In a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing our hymn of invitation. The hymn this morning is called Higher Ground. It's what God's calling us to do. It's what He wants to do in and through us. Lord Jesus, this morning, we thank You for Your Word, how it encourages us, how it calls us. Lord, you chose us. You've put your spirit in us. You took the initiative. You love us. You've forgiven us. And you tell us 
to express that compassion you've shown us to each other. Lord, we can't do it in our own strength. We ask you to do it through us. So during these moments now of commitment, speak to our hearts, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.